You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned into our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify our work and the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You might also know us as our know me as our voice on social media at Council of DC. Um, and uh, we are very excited that uh, so early in the new council period, we've now been joined by both of our brand new council members, um, who are each setting a big time record by coming within. Uh, three or so weeks of getting sworn in to be on the show. So uh, I don't know what that means, um, but I'm very uh, proud and excited to have uh, one of the new council members with us, uh, Ward 5's council member, Zachary Parker. Thank you so much for taking the time out of what I know is a busy month. Absolutely. I'm excited uh, to be here. And the reason why we're here, I'm sure, is because word has gotten out uh, that this is the one of the top-rated podcasts uh, in the district. <laughs> it, it is, I think, the highest-rated podcast in the Wilson Building, and even that, I'm not sure of. But but I will I will take the compliment regardless. Yes. yes. Um, so uh, we always start with a couple of name questions. Even though I will never call you by this name, are you a Zachary or a Zach? Uh, I am a Zachary, although a lot of people call me Zach. Okay, but that is not your preference. Um, on official documents and official meetings, Zachary is preferred. Uh, if we're just in conversation, Zach is totally fine. Gotcha. And the other question is, because I live in perpetual, I mean, perpetual, I mean, three weeks old, a uh, <laughs> fear of calling you Zachary Taylor. Do you ever get Zachary Taylor? I will tell you, since I was a kid, so many people have called me Zachary Taylor. And it's because he was a president. Um, and I think one of the more obscure presidents, you know, you don't always hear a lot, but it never fails that people reference me as Zachary Taylor. So that okay. history must have stuck with a lot of people. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not alone. No, you're not alone at all. And I just Googled it and he is one of the bottom 10, however they rank presidents, one of the bottom 10 presidents. So <laughs> So you got well, to let's, let's hope I'm not one of the bottom ranked uh, council members over time. So, no, certain, yeah. certainly not. Certainly not. Although I don't think anyone's ever endeavored to do that ranking, which would be kind of a fascinating exercise. But, but uh, we digress. Uh, so the first thing that jumped out at me looking at your bio, just reminding listeners that our generally our first interview with the council members, a biographical getting to know them, sort of obscure deep dive in their background. The first thing that jumped out at me was that your uh, degree, your college degree is in speech and language pathology. How did you uh, come to that degree? First question. Yeah, I um, went to Northwestern undergrad and entered uh, pre-med, and it was an interesting science track that I could learn about the anatomy of the ear and just how it works um, with language systems. And over time, um, as fate would have it, I found out about uh, Teach for America Info Informational, uh, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life. 
Uh, I went on to teach uh, seventh grade math and long story short, um, stayed within the educational policy sphere. Um, and so, but many don't know, I uh, did go to undergrad to be a doctor. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and did you have, was there anyone you knew in your family or personal life who, who um, having that skill set, the speech pathology skill set would have been useful to help? Not, or? Not, not really. I just thought it was kind of cool. I gotcha. looked at the requirements. My advisor told me I could still be pre-med and take this cool speech and language pathology track because you still had the right amount of uh, math and science courses. And so I gave it a shot. Gotcha. And do you find that any of the skills you picked up getting that degree are useful at all in your current uh, Not necessarily in my day-to-day -day life and politics, but, you know, there are interesting things I know. So, for instance, if you ever go to a concert and want to know why your ear is ringing after that concert is because of the hair cells or cells that are like hair cells uh, are repairing themselves and they're standing back up after having been damaged. And that is why you get the ringing in your ear after going to a loud concert. Gotcha. Good. Good to know. Not not something that would normally come up at a council hearing. I know. <laughs> no, indeed, indeed. Um, so it seems from your bio that you're kind of a man of uh, three three to four cities. That you started out in Chicago. Uh, you uh, were in, like you said, uh, New Orleans for Teach for America. Um, you are a grad degree, I guess you are at Columbia, so that's New York, and now obviously you're in D.C. Um, so uh, how would you compare the cities? Yeah, I um, obviously D.C. Uh, takes the cake. I um, grew up in Chicago um, and on the south side of Chicago and um, always was attached, connected, love DC as a kid coming to visit family. So uh, I still have cousins in the area. My grandmother uh, relocated to Chicago. Her sister relocated to DC. Uh, she has since passed on, but her children, my cousins are still in the area. Um, and I grew up loving DC so much so that for undergrad, I wanted to go to Howard. Uh, ultimately, I ended up going to Northwestern. Um, but it's something very special about this city. Uh, even, and even today, with the many ways that it has changed over time, it is still a very special city um, out of all of those that I've lived in. And how did, uh, through Teach for America, how did you end up in New Orleans? I don't, I don't know enough about the process. Do you pick yeah, cities so you to go to? Or? You do ultimately pick. Um, and I went to an informational session in college only because they had pizza and wine. Um, and that was enough as a college student to win me over. Um, and I had no intention on becoming a teacher. I, I went, I was sold on the, after the presentation, I applied, I was accepted. And it was uh, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. And so there was this big emphasis on helping the city rebuild and helping uh, the schools come back online. I taught in New Orleans, actually in a uh, what they would call a modular, which is a fancy word for a trailer. Um, and uh, that my entire teaching experience there, I was in a parking lot of a school that, that was still destroyed from the storm. Um, and, um, and I taught there um, in a trailer. And you taught- um, Seventh grade math. Seventh grade math, that's, that's what, I was gonna, what I was gonna say. So what, 
remind me what math is seventh grade math or what was at that time? Well, you have to keep in mind that this was pre-Common Core. Uh, so there have been a lot of changes since then. Um, and so I was teaching my seventh graders things like PEMDAS because uh, actually I wasn't teaching them PEMDAS, but that's order of operations as well as uh, just other basic arithmetic. Uh, one of the things that Common Core did, and while albeit controversial, was to raise the bar and what students were expected to learn at different grade levels. Um, and so now order of operations and those basic uh, uh, operations of arithmetic are taught in a much earlier grade in DC and across the country in third and fourth grade. Um, and that is because we've raised the standard, which I ultimately think is a good thing. And how much of the struggle during those teaching years was just the circumstances was what people had just lived through and the kind of classroom that you were teaching in. Um, how, how, much, how much did that change what you were trying to do? Uh, completely, completely. I will admit, I went into teaching thinking, I'm a fairly smart person. How hard must this be? And it was literally the hardest thing I've ever uh, done. Um, and it changed my outlook on uh, some of the systemic issues that um, keep children locked out of opportunity, and which is why I never did go back to finish that metal degree, but instead stayed focused on education. So after teaching, I went and got a, um, I, I focused on education policy um, and, and taught uh, part-time in New York uh, while in grad school, but was very much focused and interested in how can we give more young people, frankly, that look like me, black and brown kids, opportunity, uh, which is what I was trying to do in New Orleans. Uh, and then it, uh, in addition to obviously teaching students, uh, from what I read, you uh, later spent eight years, I'm reading directly from, from what I read, eight years coaching DCPS administrators to improve student learning. How what does that even mean? What does that even mean? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, first tell me what that means, and then I have a follow-up question. Yeah, so I, I mean, the short of it is I um, worked for an education nonprofit that still serves schools and students in the district today, uh, where I had the privilege and the opportunity to go in and work alongside principals and their leadership teams and teachers and their teaching staff uh, to do things like build their understanding of the new Common Core standards and make sense of learning data um, and think about how they can improve instructional practices so that more black and brown kids could uh, perform at higher levels. Um, and so I've had um, uh, opportunities to work at schools like Dunbar and Truesdale and West uh, and Burroughs and many others, uh, which gives me a context um, as I'm approaching this policy work um, that is just really appreciated and deeply valuable. And how did you find uh, educational um, professionals as students? That, they were that is my question. They were they, you would think they'd be glorious uh, receivers of knowledge, but I also can imagine they would be, uh, they'd think there's a certain way to do it and they'd be tough to get through to. As with anything, I um, you're going to find a range of participants. What I will say is that uh, 
I have a deep appreciation for the work that teachers are doing day in and day out. And it comes from the work that I had an opportunity of doing alongside them. And so when you're in the trenches, not only me teaching, but when you're in the trenches working alongside teachers, um, I, I get how it must feel to have a presenter, a partner come in and say, this is how things should be done in your classroom. Um, and one of the things I really tried to do was to join them in the classroom and try things out and experiment and and be there for the rough days as well as uh, for uh, the victories. Um, and so uh, the educators I had an opportunity working with were all great. Um, yeah, I, I taught for one portion of one year in an odd circumstance, I was a teaching assistant in Paris, France, of all places. And there is no scarier thing than to walk yeah. into a room full of students. And these were, these were, I had the good fortune, they were high performing students. English, you know, always has a bit of a cool flavor to it, I think, as a foreign language. And uh, to walk into a room and they're still looking at you with that skepticism. This was high school for me. Yeah. Like, okay. What do you got? Um, and I had high respect for teachers going in, but had much higher respect coming out because man, is it a challenge. Um, it's a little like parenting, you know, that there's a desire to be a friend. There's a desire to be a leader um, and trying to balance those out, um, I think is what makes a good uh, teacher. It, it, you're absolutely right. And um it literally is the hardest job I've ever done. And while I'm just starting on the council, uh, many would tell me uh, it's a pretty tough job, just given the many different competing interests and things that need to get done. But I, I still hold pretty high uh, the job of teaching. And, it, and I say all the time, I'm an educator. So when people ask me to introduce myself, I usually frame myself as an educator. Um, and so it will be interesting how over these next four years, I can bring the tools and the lessons I learned in the classroom to my work on the council. And if you had to, if you went back and asked your students what kind of teacher you were, do you think they'd say you were the cool teacher, you were the brainiac, you were no nonsense? Like, how do you think they'd sum up your teaching style? Yeah. Um, I did have and I do have a lot of my students reaching back out to me um, and many of them were cheering, cheering me on during my campaign. I think they would say uh, that I refused to give up on them, uh, that I was a tough but good teacher um, and tough meaning like holding them accountable uh, to do their work and the things that were expected of them. Um, but at the same time, one that would go out of my way to help and support. Um, so, yeah. Um, and are there any uh, kind of star pupils, you don't have to name their names, but anyone you want to kind of call out uh, sort of biographically for kind of how far they've come, what they've accomplished? Yeah, there are so many of them. None as of yet that have made like the, the front page of this magazine or another, uh, but many of them who are working and have started families. There is one that is now traveling the world uh, with a theater program. There's another uh, that um, is, is uh, starting uh, like a tech startup. And so many of them stay in touch, give me updates on their lives. 
And I just am immensely proud just to see how they've evolved as human beings um, and have gone on to Im impact the world in their own ways. Um, so then kind of logically, I mean, it a, might not seem like it to you, yeah. but from an outside, it was a very logical progression to your, to your career. Um, so next up with the Board of Education, um, one of the things I love to do is look at the path that different council members have taken to get to the council. And my numbers are definitely inexact, but interestingly, on my spreadsheet at least, I'm showing uh, 12 council members who were previously on the Board of Education, wow. 12 who were formerly ANCs, and 12 who were formerly staff members. Wow. So it's of course, there's some that checked a couple boxes, you know, of those three, but it's interesting. I didn't expect those to equalize the way they did. Yeah, I don't think I realized so many people, uh, 12 of the current council members or oh, no, 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 since home rule. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, no, that's really fascinating. And um I, I, I first learned about the State Board of Education through my work in schools, um, and I got wind of a meeting or something that they were doing, and I started investigating and learning, what is this did, board? Did that meeting also have pizza and uh, wine? It, it, did, it did not have pizza and wine. <laughs> by, that, by that point, I was sufficiently hooked so that I didn't eat the bait. But um, I, I, I started doing research about the Board of Education, what they're all about, um, and it turned out that it was an upcoming election. Um, and I said, again, you'll you'll find this out about me. I'm like, oh, I'll give this a try. Uh, sure. Yeah, why not? Um, never having run for anything, never having um, trained in any type of political space, really. Uh, although the lessons that I've learned in the classroom uh, certainly helped propel me in that journey, uh, things like planning um, and uh, making sure that we can connect dots A to B to C so that you can get your desired outcome. Um, and I was successful. And in that time on the board, um, I was really keeping central, not only the kids I had an opportunity of teaching in New Orleans, but all of the many schools, school leaders, teachers, and the kids that I had an opportunity of engaging over the eight or so years uh, working in DC public schools and charters throughout the district. So um, I went on to serve as president of the board. Um, and during that time, and as I look back, I would say one of the things I'm proudest of during that tenure, as we were still at the height of the pandemic, trying to figure out how we were going to function as a board during this global health emergency, uh, were the foundations that we set that uh, is setting the current board up for uh, future success. So uh, we instituted standing committees for the first time. We introduced legislation to the council for only the second time. Uh, we expanded our student representatives. We created processes uh, for the ways in which the board was going to work. We expanded our budget um, and I really think the board is at a place now that uh, it's going to be a bigger player in the educational space here in the district, which I think is a good thing. So more more potential uh, council members. Uh, maybe, maybe. I, you know, I will say uh, I don't want 
the state board to be seen as a stepping stone for political gain or other political futures. But I do think it's good to have educators and education advocates on the council. So if we can have more educators and education advocates on the council, I think that is a win. And it's also looking at the, the list of former school board members who, who went on to the council, which I, I can read the list unless you want to take a stab at, at doing it from memory of who's who's crossed over. I, I, I think I know three that come to mind. Um, no, I know four that come to mind. So you have on the current council, Treyon White, uh, yep. council member Treyon White, uh, council member Janice Lewis-George. Um, and while she might be a little tricky, I think she was a student member, but we're going to still count that. Um, then you have council member Tommy Wills. Correct. Then you have council member Marion Berry or our mayor for life. Yeah. Here, I here think, for the, the, the I, I council. Think I missed a lot of other people, according to your count. Well, the council trivia nerds uh, are going to love this. Here, here's the complete list. Um, so I don't read the duplicate the ones you read as well, just so I don't miss any. Uh, Julius Hobson, uh, Betty Ann Kane, Marion Berry, Hilda Mason, Frank Smith, wow. Carol Schwartz, Linda Kropp, Sekou Biddle. Um, Zachary Parker, yourself, of course, Treyon White, uh, James Coates, and Tommy Wells. Yeah, yeah. In my count, I did not have a council member, Lewis George, as a student yeah, member. She, she was a student member, so uh, I, I would count, throw her in that count, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely would. Um, and a little yeah, note back about the Wilson building, uh, Marion Berry, I'm told, uh, used to um, have his office in Suite 102, and my office is in Suite 102. Yeah, I, I one of my Hold history on, trivia, um, uh, like, to-do list items is to figure out who was in which uh, office. Um, you know, there's a famous uh, uh, thought-to-be-curse about the uh, one um, council office that has its own bathroom. Yes. Um, yes. Wanting to track that all the way back. Um, but uh, so you, you could trace all of the individuals who had this office. Uh, that's what I want to be able to do. Oh, yes. Yes. But but I, I, I'd have to dig around a bit, but I could start with your office. if, if I, I would be I would be interested in knowing. Gotcha. Uh, you mentioned quickly you were you were president of the Board of Education. Now, that office is internally elected. Yes. Meaning the members elected. Whereas council chairman, is, I mean, so your office is kind of akin to House Speaker in the sense that it's the members right. who conduct That's the right. election. Council chairman is more like Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, where you go for that position uh, initially. Um, are you, um, and this is a dangerous trap, just to let you know, are you happy with the fact that the council chairman is elected by the people, or do you think it should be an internally elected uh, position? I, I, think, I think it's pros and cons to both, but I do think just given the power dynamics in the district, given that we're still fighting for statehood, um, and it is something, and it's a fight I believe we ultimately will win, uh, but given how... Um, our current power system is set up. I think it makes sense to allow the people to vote and elect the chairman. Yeah. 
Okay, good, good, <laughs> good, good answer. Uh, another uh, something that jumped out at me in your uh, bio on the council site, so a bio that that you I, I would think wrote or, or had a hand in writing at least, um, was uh, this sentence. Um, that your passion for public service is rooted in your two brothers' struggle with yes. inhumane economic and healthcare systems. Obviously, without going into personal details or anything yeah. like that, I was just uh, hoping you could, if you're comfortable, just expand a bit on that because that seems like an extremely powerful. Uh, Absolutely, my my brothers, my family is rooted in my why. Why I fight every day for educational equity, why I am fighting uh, to write injustices here in the district now on the council. Um, I, you know, I mentioned already that I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I'm, I'm the youngest of three children born to my parents. Um, and my middle brother was born with uh, chronic kidney failure. And so growing up, he uh, had to engage with health systems, hospitals, uh, all of the time. And I had a front row seat to just see how he was mistreated, how insurance companies, at least in his example, uh, prioritized what seemed to be the bottom line over treating him like a person and a human and getting the care that he deserved. He ultimately, sadly, passed away in 2016, still fighting uh, many of the systems that I had watched him fight his entire life. Uh, meanwhile, my oldest brother, um, while same parents, same neighborhood, same household, same values. Uh, we have just two different um, outcomes in life um, in the sense that I went on to college. I, you know, by many respects, people would say I'm a quote unquote successful person. I can choose many jobs that I want to do. Um, and he did not finish college, which is fine. Uh, but at the same time, um, it is not able to actualize his full potential as he's working uh, 40 plus hours a week, barely making ends meet um, and oftentimes and couldn't uh, come to witness uh, many family functions because that means not getting paid. And there are a lot of people that can relate to that uh, story and being what I would say is the victim of how our economic systems uh, kind of perpetuate uh, poverty, but also keep certain people, certain communities down. So uh, my brother's stories serve as uh, inspiration for me and a responsibility of the many district residents in War 5 and across the city uh, that can share and relate in their story. And it's not a unique one. Uh, people day in and day out are fighting for good jobs with good benefits and good pay. At the same time, uh, many residents are one health scare away from losing everything um, and are just wanting basic quality care. Um, and my hope is over the time, my time on the council, we can make that more true here in the district. And I would think that would be, I can't decide if that would be reassuring or maddening to see that three siblings from the exact same, as you said, same background, same values would have such disparate yeah. outcome. I, I can't and decide. I, and, I, and I say that intentionally because of my work in education, um, I have grown to know that many blame the parents. Uh, when we look at outcomes for children, they would say, if only the parents cared more, if only the parents did more, if only the parents 
you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and to your point, here's an example, same parents, married family, living um, under the same roof uh, and three different outcomes, one by health and nature and the other by circumstance. Um, and uh, it just goes to show that it's a bigger issue that we have to fight against and it's systemic. Um, and these are systems that are um, perpetuating a lot of the suffering that we see. Uh, is that reassuring to you to know that anyone can can succeed or is Absolutely. it maddening to know how? Well, for me, it's maddening because even while I know many of these issues are systemic, um, I would say our solutions aren't keeping up with the problem. And so my time on the council, I want to think big and how do we disrupt the patterns that we're seeing that have impacted communities for generations, for decades. Um, and um, I, I am one that thinks it's time we, we ought to think boldly um, to address the scale of the problems that we see here in the district. And do your, um... Have your parents provided any, uh, obviously, insight you've gained from watching them? But have they provided any direct uh, uh, advice to you in how to tackle your, your job? Yeah, you know, it's the normal parental advice. Uh, take care of yourself. You can't do it all. Uh, but at the same time, uh, keep going. And the constant encouragement of, uh, as, as some might say, getting in good trouble and doing the things that will help uh, others the most. So um, my parents' encouragement over my lifetime has always been about how can we leave a place better than we found it? Um, and so whether it is my time on council or as an educator, that has been a through line for me, just wanting to uh, have a positive impact on others. Absolutely. Um, well, I think we're, we're just about out of time, um, but we are going to go to our, our fun closeout uh, question, okay. which uh, a tradition on the show. Um, and this is something I've done with all the council members who have been council members since I took the job about 10 years ago. I do it at dinner parties. Um, it's a great icebreaker. Um, and the question is, um, I want you to look at these five uh, desserts. Oops, sorry. Okay. Um, and there we go. And uh, I want you to rank these uh, in order of preference. Okay, so we're gonna put pie number one, then ice cream, then cookies, then cake, and last candy. Gotcha. So there's an interesting pie coalition that's forming because <laughs> um, the chairman uh, famously put pie first. And I need to re-watch the episode because he either put rhubarb pie or strawberry rhubarb pie. Interesting. But Councilmember Fruman is one of the only other council members who put pie first. Look at that. Look so at everything, that. You know, I know classmates like uh, Councilmember Henderson and Councilmember Lewis George are classmates. They're super close. So you and Councilmember Fruman, in addition to being in the same class, also put oh, pie yeah. first. So yeah, uh, for, for me, it is um, not only, in my opinion, does pie taste better, 
there is a greater level of consistency. So whether it's apple pie or one of my favorites, sweet potato pie, you, you usually know what you're going to get, assuming you know the person that's making the pie, where cake, it can kind of be hit or miss, I've found. It could be usually pretty dry or, um, yeah, I won't belabor the point. But yeah, I'm not a big cake or a candy person. Yes, yes. Counts, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but but uh, Councilmember Dodeau had a very funny quote about being deeply skeptical of cake. I think she had cake in, in last place. And it was just, I, I started to wonder that maybe cake had done something to her earlier in life. Yeah, I don't so know many people that eat cake outside of like special occasions. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure perfect. people do, but, uh, you know, it's not... Often I hear people say, I'm going to the grocery store to make a cake or I'm just going to make a cake because uh, it's usually uh, because we've grown accustomed to associate it with a special event. So. Yeah, basically everyone loves ice cream. Pie and candy tend to be kind of polarizing. They either rank super high or super low. Candy, uh, while I'm not a big fan, uh, I do really like toffee. Um, and so when thinking of like New Orleans, uh, there are these score bars, uh, which is candy, I guess, but it's like oh, yeah. cho chocolate and toffee. Uh, mm -hmm. I can eat those every day, uh, although <laughs> I'm not a big candy person. Either, but it's all good. Well, I think, you know, when the holiday season comes, the council members should review their initial hearing the council uh, interviews because they'll load you up with gift ideas. Now people know okay. you're a toffee fan. So yeah, it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Absolutely. Well, well, um, I, sadly, we are out of time, uh, council member, but I want to thank you for being uh, generous with your time and being generous with the, the silly question at the end. I uh, hope to have you back next time. We can go deep on policy or uh, whatever you Absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And so I certainly will come back um, and we're going to keep this the number one rated podcast in the Wilson building. <laughs> Absolutely. Just don't start a podcast. That's the easiest okay. way to avoid uh, me losing out. But uh, thank you very much also listeners uh, for being with us today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts, just search under Hearing the Council. Thanks again for joining us. Tune in next time. We're on DC Radio 96.3 on your FMHD4 dial, weekdays 3 p.m. Uh, or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thanks again, council member. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.